To take them in would mean opening himself up to learning more, and he declined because the matters of consequence to which he was attending were far too important and could not wait. So it is with all of us sometimes. We're drawn into important tasks, and we forget that the whole world around us is ready for our curious gaze. What if we attended to one another? What if instead of clinging to certainty, we paused and made room for holy curiosity? I'm going to encourage us this morning, maybe more than encourage, strongly encourage us this morning. Make space for us this morning to reflect on and engage in holy curiosity. And I'm going to start by sharing a story that has resonance with the story that Sarah shared, and it is a story that happened to me, I'm going to say, about 20 years ago. I was in a time in my life where things were actually extremely difficult. My husband, Mike, was becoming increasingly symptomatic with his multiple sclerosis, and that was a whole world of uncertainty. My mother was in the final stages of early onset Alzheimer's, and I was her caregiver. And there, of course, was that whole arena of uncertainty. And one of our children was, was having pretty serious neurological issues. So it was a swirl of not knowing. I mean, an avalanche. And at the time, I didn't really have a church that I loved, but I, I went to the church my husband and I had been married in, which was an Episcopal church, uh, not too far from our house. <laughs> a little bit wealthy for my taste, a lot of fur coats on Christmas and Easter. Uh, but really, as always, pretty much in faith communities, super nice people. And I was so sad and so yearning for connection that paradoxically, I sat by myself. Even though I knew a bunch of people, I still, I just was in that place. And I would sit in the back. And one day I noticed there's a part of the service that happens in many Christian services where there's a recitation of the Nicene Creed. You know, I believe in one God, I believe, etc. And we would stand for that, and I, and I just, I had this moment of, of just clarity, and I realized, or at least I thought I realized, that we were saying those words, but somehow those words weren't filling us. They weren't making our spirits. And please let me be clear, I'm, I have zero judgment. I, I just, it was this moment of noticing, and I, I, I wanted it to be different. So after the service, I had my moment. Now I would call it holy curiosity. Then I just was desperate. So I asked a bunch of the people I knew to tell me about their experience of reciting the Nicene Creed. And they all looked at me like I was crazy. Oh, we don't believe that. <laughs> like, we just say that because it's part of the service. 
I feel dumb a lot, and that was one of those times. I was like, oh, okay. But the truth is, hearing those words made me feel scared and, and a little sad. So I actually went to the minister and the associate minister, and I talked with them about this, and I, and I just said, what, what is, can you help me understand this? And they said, we're going to do a workshop on the Nicene Creed. And I said, great. I was excited. I thought we were going to talk about what happens when we as modern people f struggle with these ancient words or ancient statements and we don't, they don't fit us. What do we do? Do we leave the faiths? I mean, how do we deal with that? Well, it turns out that the workshop wasn't exactly about that, um, but it was about the history, which is also really interesting. But here's the thing, my friends. I, I'm someone who will, more often than I should, think I know the answers. But this time, I didn't. And this time, by some grace that I can't identify, I allowed space for the answer to come. And what ended up happening is that over a long period of time, it did. I left that church. Somebody told me about Unitarian Universalism, because y'all are hard to find. <laughs> Just saying. I joined a Unitarian Universalist church. And the path that started on that Sunday all those years ago ended up here. So sometimes you'll hear me say that this is a place where our questions are honored and affirmed every bit as much as our certainties. And that the things we need are honored every bit as much as the things we have. And I'll say that because I go back to that memory. I share this story with you because I imagine if I asked for a show of hands, there would be many of you here who had some kind of moment in your history or some kind of experience of questioning. And that maybe you too felt this sense of relief and openness when you found a space where you could ask your questions without being pushed away. But here's where I want to go from there. It, it is in our DNA. Somebody mentioned the Baltimore sermon, right, that kicked, kicked all this, this hootenanny off <laughs> 200 years ago. As much as we value our curiosity and our religious curiosity, as much as it's part of our you know, DNA as people of faith, even with that, we still, we still are often really quick to jump back into the answer, back into the certainty. We're still really quick to double down. If we, and I'll speak for myself, in a situation of conflict, in a situation of challenge, in a situation of difference of, of opinion, Oh no, I'm right. And once I've made my line in the sand, I'm right. 
and it's really, really hard to back down <laughs> once, you, once you do that, or it even feels like backing down. There's a researcher, a professor at the Harvard Business School who wrote an amazing piece. I'll try to post it on Facebook if I remember, but she studied the role of curiosity in business for, for years and had thousands of test subjects. And what she found was that executives, CEOs, and managers do not value curiosity. Is this a huge surprise <laughs> to, to most of you here? Why? Because like the businessman in the story, it is a giant waste of time, or it's perceived to be a giant waste of time, and a giant waste of money. Well, it's actually the other way around. Curiosity, as part of her, her research, her name is Dr. Francesca Gino, as part of her research, she interviewed call center employees. I think the only job that I would like to do less than that is be a toll taker at the Lincoln Tunnel. <laughs> That's ground, you know, anyway. The call center employers, employees, and what she found, she did tests that determined their level of curiosity. And the ones who had the highest scores on curiosity were not only the happiest in their work, they were happier human beings, but they were more effective. They actually did more, advanced more, they were more successful. And she duplicated these results across all kinds of business lines. She found that businesses and enterprises, it doesn't just have to be a business, it could be us right here. Enterprises that encourage and leave space for people to be curious are more successful. Now, I don't mean the kind of curiosity we see on network news. Madam Witness, wouldn't you agree that the people in my party are truly serving our nation and the people in the opposite party are treasonous scum. Isn't that right? <laughs> that is not curiosity. Some of us remember President Ronald Reagan. I hope you all do. Anyway, <laughs> he, would, uh, he, would, he would hold press briefings, and if, and if you recall, there was a reporter from the chief White House reporter for the Associated Press, Helen Thomas, who liked to wear red, would always sit in the front row, and he, would, he had this little sort of flirty thing going on with her, and he would always call on her first, and he would say, do you have the right question for my answer? <laughs> okay, that's not curiosity either. <laughs> It's just in case you were wondering. That's weaponized questioning. That's a whole, other, a whole other thing. But here's the bottom line, folks. In times of anxiety and heightened anxiety, like now, I heard, I think they were 10-year-olds on the radio yesterday who were protesting for, on behalf of Action for Climate Change. And they had walked out of their school in New York. And their little voices were being interviewed. And, and they were like, we want, we don't know if we're going to have a future. We want our parents to vote for somebody who will take action. OK? How is powerful. 
it's hard not to feel anxious. And when we feel anxious, we want to go back to what we know. So I'm inviting you today. Make space. You've heard it in many different ways in today's service. It might be uncomfortable to be not knowing or not knowing soon. Make space for your own creativity, for your own sense of effectiveness and agency, and make space I know some of you perhaps don't like the word miracle, but I'll use it anyway. Make space for the miracle that you, right now, in this moment, cannot even imagine. Amen. Ashe. And blessed be. As you go out to live the rest of your week, I invite you to live in gratitude and to see what you can be curious about. See what question you can ask. Maybe that question in your own heart that is waiting to be heard. And listen with a smile. Blessed be.